Well, it was Valentine's Day this week. Anybody notice? No. It's an awkward one, Valentine's Day, isn't it? I, uh, you know, if you're, if you're single, it's awkward because you don't know if you're going to get a card. And if you do get a card, it could be one of those anonymous cards and you're trying to figure out who it's from and it's actually from your mom. And, uh, or or, or if, you're, if you're not single, if you're married, uh, then you're trying to think, well, uh, it's normally one of the couple forgets to get a card. Or uh, somebody, somebody, a friend of mine put on Facebook this week that they'd never seen so many men in petrol stations <laughs> early in the morning and uh, buying cards and flowers. And then if you are in a, a, a relationship, depending on how long you've been in that relationship, it's what do you write on the card, you know? Like how mushy do you go? You don't want to overcook it. Um, you don't want to underdo it. And it's just trying to find the right, the right phrase, the right way to express your love. And I know I'm a little bit late this year, but... Uh, you can, you, I thought I'd give you some uh, good lines for Valentine's cards and that you could possibly use next year. But, but I know money's also tight, so some of you may struggle to find a card, but Tesco always are there. So, yeah, Tesco help with Valentine's cards. Nothing says I love you like a 7p card. Um, every little helps, uh, but uh, be prepared to be single if you buy your... A significant other that card um, but uh, here's some things that you might want to put on a card and um, they say true lovers need time apart I think today is a good time to start <laughs> I thought that I could love no other that is until I met your brother <laughs> my love for you dear is everlasting is your sister single I'm only asking <laughs> I want to feel your sweet embrace but please don't take that paper bag off your face I see your face when I am dreaming, that's why I always wake up screaming. <laughs> kind, intelligent, loving and hot, that describes everything you're not. Calvin Klein, Dior, Chanel, still you can't disguise the smell. Some of you can use those at your own risk, that is a disclaimer from me. I take no responsibility for the outcome. Uh, and then some of you maybe wanted to buy a gift on Valentine's Day. Some of you want to take things a little bit further. I heard about Paddy and Mick. We're having a, a conversation and, and Patty said to Mick, did you buy the wife anything for Valentine's Day? And Mick says, actually, I did. I bought her a bag and a belt. And, 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 and Patty's a bit surprised because Mick's not known exactly for his romantic gestures. And, and Patty says to Mick, goodness, I'm sure she was over the moon that you bought her a bag and a belt. He says, well, she wasn't too happy, but the vacuum cleaner's working a lot better now. Um, <laughs> We're talking about gifts this morning, not the sort of gifts we buy on, on Valentine's Day, but the sort of gifts that God has given us, the gifts, talents, abilities, and opportunities that God has given us, that he expects us to use, the, the, the things that God has deposited within us, the things that God has entrusted to us. And in Matthew 25, we have a story which is uh, most commonly known as the parable of the talents. And most of you will be familiar. I love coming to familiar stories and trying to dig the gold, trying to find things that, that maybe we don't uh, look at. And a parable was simply a story that Jesus told to teach what life is like in the kingdom of God. 
that he, he, a parable was really a story to shift mindsets, to shift religious mindsets of his day, to shift how people viewed God. And so when he told the story of things like the prodigal son, it was to shift people's understanding of who God was and how God relates to us. And the parable of the talents is designed to do that. It is designed to shift our thinking. And in the parable, we really have a number of characters. We have a master who is God. Okay, we have three servants and we have two mindsets. And so if you can think of it like that, one master, three servants, but two mindsets. And the servants represent us and the mindsets represent the way we view life and how we use the gifts that God has given us. So here's how he starts it. He's he's telling a series of stories uh, uh, about what it'll be like when Jesus returns and, and, and about judgment in Matthew 25. Matthew 24, 25, that's really what he's, he's focusing on. And again, it's, he says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money and to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. And my first point is simply this, you are gifted. You are gifted. Now, when we think of talent, we tend to think of uh, Britain's Got Talent. We tend to think of people with singing ability or, or an ability to dance or, or to do something. There's a new show, Ireland's Got Talent. I watched the first 15 minutes of it and realized that it didn't. Um, but, uh, you know, otherwise, if they were good enough, they'd have went across to Britain's Got Talent, um, which British people never win, by the way, um, or very rarely win, apart from Subo, um, who we all love dearly. But, uh, but, but a, a talent in Jesus' day was actually a huge sum of money. It was equivalent to 20 years' wages for a laborer. So uh, a talent was a huge sum of money. It was equivalent to... Somewhere around half a million pounds today. So here we have this very wealthy businessman and he gives his servants, he's going away and he gives his servants, all of them a huge sum of money. I'm entrusting this to you. And first of all, I want you to notice a few things. First of all, they all get something. There's nobody who gets nothing. It's not like one guy got five talents, one guy got two talents, one guy got one talent, and John over there, he got no talents. They all got something. There's no such thing as a no-talent person. And what Jesus is saying is that every single person has been given a talent by God. God has entrusted something, a gift, an ability, a talent, uh, an opportunity into every person's life. And you're probably thinking, well, he didn't give me a talent. I must have been at the back of the queue and he ran out of talents by the time he got to me. Uh, you know, I'm talentless. Uh, you know, Craig's got no talent. You know, you're maybe thinking that you're a talentless person, but not according to Jesus. And if it's between you and Jesus, he is normally right. According to what he tells us here, you have one talent, one thing you can use to serve him and everyone else. And the second thing I want you to notice is this, that not everybody receives the same amount of talents. One gets five, one gets two, and one gets one. We are all gifted, but the simple reality is this, we are not all equally gifted. 
Isn't that true? There are some people we meet who are good at everything. Like those rare people. Remember the person in school who was really good looking, really sporty, really good at singing, really clever. We had a name for them that I can't repeat here in church, but we didn't wish good things to happen to them in life. But they seemed to have every talent. It seemed like, like they were at the front of the queue. They got an abundance of talents, and the rest of us got what was left at the bottom of the barrel. But for most of us, we're good at one or two things, and we're kind of average or poor at everything else. So they all have a gift, but not everybody has the same amount of gifts. Some people are more gifted than others. The third thing, it says that they were given talents according to their ability. Now, this is the bit that stopped me this week as I was studying. Because I always think talents and abilities are the same thing. I think gifts and abilities are the same thing. Have you ever thought about that? They were given gifts according to their ability. The gift is what we are given by God, the ability is our capacity to do something with what we are given. Yeah? The gift comes from him. But God could give two different people the exact same gift, but their ability, their capacity, what they do with it could be completely different. I have found people who are much less gifted than me do much more than I do. Have you ever seen somebody who's like a millionaire or something and you're like, I I went to school with them and they really weren't that great. You know, like they're doing amazing things with their... And so they took and they did something different with what they had. And then there's people who are more gifted than you, but they're not working it. People who who you go, you know what, they were amazing at school, and yet they just don't seem to have developed, they don't seem to have worked with their gift, they don't seem to have done anything. And I think God looks at us and he goes, you know what, here's, what, here's your capacity, here's your ability, I'm giving you this according to your ability. Now, I can't force you to develop it, I can't force you to do something with it, but here's what I have put within you, the ability to do something. You've got ability if you really want to, to turn what he has given you into something so much more. And I love that God knows our limitations. He knows our strengths and weaknesses. He does not make unreasonable demands of us. He doesn't expect us to do something with something he hasn't given us. God will not ask me to lead worship. That is not a joyful noise unto the Lord. He will never ask me to lead worship. I would love to be able to lead worship. God has not given me that ability. Um, you know, I, honestly, I, I, I've, I play guitar a little bit. And because I've played guitar a little bit, people used to go, Craig's going to lead worship. And I'll be like, I'm not going to lead worship because not even God wants to be in the room when I lead worship. Like, he goes somewhere else. Uh, you know, like, and, and so... Uh, he doesn't expect me to use that. I have an, you know, if you absolutely hate kids, if you cannot stand kids, if the noise of kids makes you want to, you know, poke your own eyes out, like, like probably don't head up the kids ministry or have children ever. Um, you know, because that's, that's not your heart, but something else might be. God knows our limitations. He knows our potential. And it's up to us what we do with that potential. God will not force you to develop what he has given you. 
He will give you the gift, but the ability, the, 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 the willingness to do something with it and develop it has to come from you. Back to the parable. They're each given talents. What do they do with them? God expects us to use our gifts. Look at verses 16 to 18. The man who had received five talents went once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now there's something I notice here. He never tells them what to do with what he gives them. Do you notice that? It just says he gave them five, two, and one. He doesn't say, here, boys, I want you to go and invest it. I want you to go and develop it. I want you to go and work it. He doesn't micromanage them. He doesn't look over their shoulder. He simply gives them gifts, and it's up to them with what they do with it. It's up to them to realize what they're holding in their hands, the great opportunity They have been given. And sometimes God gives us opportunities that we simply don't recognize until it's too late. Sometimes there's opportunities placed in front of us. And we don't recognize as an opportunity. And so we don't do anything with us. And some of us are waiting for specific and explicit instructions as to how we will use our gifts, talents, abilities, finances, and so on. And most of the time God just says, here it is, it's up to you. Here it is, I have given you the ability to work with kids. But if you don't want to work with kids, that is up to you. I have given you the ability to serve. I have given you the ability to be generous. I have given you the ability to create wealth. I have given you the ability to to look after the elderly and to to support the elderly. I have given you the ability to work with those who, the gift to work with those with special needs. I have given you the the, the capacity to work with single moms or or moms who who, who have unwanted pregnancies. I have given you that, but it is up to you. I will not force you out the door and into their lives that is up to you it is up to you if you do something with it that's great but if you don't you will waste your life and never become all I created you to be or all I made you to do this is it this is your one chance you see there was a day when the master came back in other words the time was limited And I think, honestly, most of us, particularly when we're younger, and I don't put myself in that category anymore, I used to. You know, there's a a point, and I think I'm right there right now. I'm probably in the middle of a midlife crisis right now. But but you realize, I'm not even joking, um, you realize that you're at the other side of, you know, you're past the halfway mark. And, And you realize time is short. When I was 25, you think you're going to live forever, don't you? And you think you have all the time in the world. Time is short. The book of Revelation says that again and again because time is short. Time is short. Time is short. We have a finite amount of time on this earth. We don't know how long it could be. It could be 60 years. It could be 100 years. It could be a week. None of us know. But it is up to us in the time we have to use what we have been given and in the story two of the servants went to work they used what they had been given and they doubled the amount the five guy made it ten the two guy made it four but look at what it says the mom of five talents went at once 
and put his money to work. Another translation says, immediately he went and began to work. And here's the thing. There's a few things I see here. He put it to work. W-O-R-K, work. That is a four-letter word that some of us don't like. (laughs) Work, to develop what God has given you to serve him is work. It is not all floating about in the second heavenly realm, you know, on the angel's wings, just doing, just doing your spiritual thing. That is great. There's a space for that. There's a time for that. But there's also work in the kingdom. There's rolling your sleeves up. There's getting your hands dirty. There's developing it. There's, there's working hard. You know, I am not the best preacher on the planet, but I am one of the hardest working preachers I know. (laughs) I am being really honest. I work harder than any preacher I know at at terms of developing this and have done from I was 16 years old and spoke in Portadown College Scripture Union. I have put more hours into preaching than any other preacher I know, week after week after week after week. And that is, I am not the most gifted I am not the best. I am not the most knowledgeable. But I'm one of the most hardworking. And it takes work. I think some people think I just swan up here on a Sunday and open my Bible, you know, and maybe it feels like that some weeks. I have work. And and, and the guys here in worship, they don't just get up and go, what will we play this morning? No, we'll do, you know, do it. Yeah, I've seen you move the mountains. Do it again. Okay, we'll do it again and again. You know, that, that. they work at it. They, they've got a craft. God has given them a gift, but they work at it. And there's some things, like, I, I, I'm a decent writer, but I hate writing. And when I do write, people tell me I'm a good writer. I, it is work. Every week when I come to Thursday and I have to type the sermon, it is a labor of love. I could study for all week long, but I hate to, it is work. And there's things in the kingdom that we just go, you know what? If I'm going to develop it, if I'm going to serve God, it is not all going to be woohoo. It is going to be work. There are people, I was in the office working a while ago, and three people from the church came in to clean the kitchen, or to clean the kitchen, to clean the toilets. People from our congregation. They roll up their sleeves, they put their hands down the dirty bogs, and they work. Nothing just happens. It takes work. And that's what I want you to see. They put it to work. It takes work to make anything happen. And the second thing is this. They took ownership. The two who who multiplied the talent, the ability, the gift that they had been given, they took ownership. Look at what it says. The man with five talents put his money to work. It wasn't his money. But he treated it like it was his money. Why? Because he took ownership. He took responsibility. He acted as if it was his. He realized it was his responsibility alone. And if he didn't own it, in terms of of taking responsibility, nothing would happen. You know, there's a difference between an owner mentality and an employee mentality. There's a difference between an owner mentality and an employee mentality. 
And I was thinking of how I would best illustrate this. And I, I, I thought about this. And imagine, imagine you are going to buy, you've saved for a watch, okay? You want to buy a beautiful watch. You're really into watches. You've saved 500 pounds for a watch. Uh, and, and so you, the, the shop, the jewellery shop, the watch shop closes at 5.30. You rush out of work, you get there at 5.20 and they're putting down the shutter. You say to the, the person putting down the shutter, it's 5.20, I thought you didn't close to 5.30. And they go, closing up. And you go, but I want to buy a watch. I've got £500 here to buy a watch. And they go, sorry, I've already rung off the till for the day. Are they an owner or an employee? Employee. If they were the owner, what would they do? That shutter would be put up. That till would be turned on. Isn't that true? That's the difference between an owner and an employee mentality. An owner takes responsibility. They know if it's going to be, it's up to me. An employee goes, I don't care. I'm checking the watch, making sure. I'm not working a minute too late. I remember hearing Paul Scanlon, who, who used to lead Abundant Life Church, Charlotte Gamble's his daughter, who I know some of you will have heard of. Um, Paul Scanlon tells a story about how when, when they were having a, a meeting in the church and, of, of staff and volunteers, and, and there was a big stain in the middle of the carpet. And he walked in and he looked at it and he thought, I'm just going to watch the sea. And he said, every single person walked past the stain on the carpet. And then he got up and he said, how many of you saw that stain? And sheepishly they. And uh, he said, well, why didn't you? And they said, well, it's like we've got a cleaner. And, and he just said, guys, that is, every one of us, that is our responsibility. Let me ask, who fixed the sign at the top of the hill this morning? Somebody did. George. I brought a hammer to do it. And I just, because all week it's been annoying me. Yeah? And I thought somebody somewhere has to take, that's ownership. That is ownership. What's that? It's OCD for George. But it's also, you know what, OCD, O-W-N-E-R. It is ownership. You know what, George... Most of us drove past the sign. I drove past it this week and it was bucketing, but I thought, you know what, on Sunday I'm going to bring a hammer and I'm going to fix that before people arrive because that sign was hanging down like that. That is the sort of spirit I want to see in that church. That this isn't my church, this isn't the leadership team's church, this is your church. You are the body. Whatever happens in here is up to you. And that is the spirit I long to see, that we all take responsibility. We all take. And so when we're talking about membership, this is not about us going, we've got so many. It's about having a bunch of people who are saying, we believe in this. We want to take ownership for the vision. If Craig Alvin is going to be reached, if this community is going to be reached, it is going to be reached through me and the people around me and the people who I commit myself to. And, 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 and we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. You know why I, I appreciate so many people in here who, who do so many things. You know why I appreciate it, Chris, who was helping lead worship this morning. Chris came in here and he had been up leading worship a bit. And, and I didn't know Chris very well when, when we came here. I'd met him once or twice. And Becky came home from the women's weekend, which was in October. Yeah. And, and I said, how was it? And I think it was a Friday night. 
Becky came home and she said, I arrived early to set up and Chris was hoovering the carpet down here. And I thought, that's exactly the sort of spirit I want. Because there are some people who want to be up here rocking it out with a guitar, but they don't want to be down there cleaning it up with a vacuum. I want somebody who's got a heart for the house. And I know many people in this place have that, but that, I want that to be the spirit of all of us. That you know what, it's not about up here. Like in Jesus' kingdom, this is honestly, the first will be last and the last will be first. In other words, the people who do the, the, the least visible tasks are the ones often in God's eyes who get the most notice. And so please, I just would love us to go, you know what, this is our church, this is, this is our body. We are going to take ownership off it. And the other thing I want you to notice is this. He went at once. It doesn't say he wasted time. He sat for three days. The two guys who doubled their, their talents, they went immediately. They went at once. They didn't procrastinate. They didn't pontificate. They didn't check the wind direction for the day. They went at once. They went immediately. They saw this as the opportunity of a lifetime. And the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. I was reading a book recently called The Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins. As far, I'm not, as far as I know, she's not a, a Christian writer. Uh, but the premise of her book is this. That when, there is a, when there's a conflict between what we know in our heads we should do and what we feel like doing, if we wait too long, our feelings will always win. So you wake up in the morning and you think, I should really get out of bed and do that run. But I don't feel, oh, I'm tired. I just hit snooze one more time. Why? Because your feelings, you know you should. Even if long term you know it's of great benefit for you. If there is a conflict between what you know you should do and what you feel like doing, if you wait too long, your feelings always win. Isn't that true? Those of you who are single, you see that person and you think, I should go up and say hello. I should go up and talk to them. I should go up and introduce myself to them. And by the time you've done it, you go, nah. And that's why the book's called The Five Second Rule. Her theory is this. If you do not act within five seconds of that thing, so when the alarm goes off, if you do not get out of bed, you won't get out of bed. If you open the fridge and you see that big lump of chocolate cake and you see that kale and broccoli and you go, I'm trying to lose weight and I know what I should do, but I know what I want to do. Unless you grab that kale and broccoli like it's a million pounds in five seconds, you will, the chocolate cake will win every time. Isn't that true? Like, because we are a feeling controlled people, we know what we should do. If only it was that easy. If you don't feel like doing it, you probably won't. Knowing that you want to do it and knowing what to do and even that you, you should do it isn't enough. Now, five seconds might be a bit extreme, but I think some of us put off constantly doing what we know we should do. We talk ourselves out of it. We know God has told us to do something. We know God has spoken to us. We know God wants us to do something. But we continually talk ourselves out of it. We know we should serve. We give, volunteer, commit. 
We know it would be fulfilling to do it. We know we'd be obeying God's word. We know we would grow. We know we would meet new people. We know we would be part of a community. But next week, or or a more convenient time. And we have this mentality of someday, someday, someday. And we we keep putting it off. You know, I, I know I should give. And I know when that basket comes past every week, it's a little bit awkward and I pretend I've put money into it because I put my hand into it and I left my hand out again. You know, <laughs> and, 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 you know I've only got 50 pounds, and, and, but if I had 500 pounds, I'd give. I, I know I should serve. I, I really should serve in kids' ministry. I, I should. Once Sunday a month, I should. You know, and I, I, I'm actually, I quite like working with kids, but... But, but if I'm out there, I'm not in here. And I quite like being in here. And, 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 and you know, and, and I know I should. I know I should. I know I should. I know I should. And we shoulda, woulda, coulda. And then we come to the end of our lives and we never did. I heard a story about two little boys were playing. And one little boy turned to the other one and said, if you had a million pounds, would you give me half? He said, of course, if, you're, if I had a million pounds, I'd give you half. Then he said, well, if you had a thousand pounds, would you give me half? And he said, of course, if I had a thousand pounds, I'd give you half. He said, if you had a hundred pounds, would you give me half? And he said, you're my best friend. If I had a hundred pounds, I would surely give you half. He said, well, what if you had a pound, would you give me half? He says, that's not fair. You know, I've got a pound in my pocket right now. (laughs) It's not true. Well, it was hypothetical, it was fine, until it actually became real. And well, it was someday in the future, that's okay. Two of the servants went out immediately and they began to work what they had been given. They didn't hang around, they didn't procrastinate, they were proactive. What about the one talent man? What did he do? He dug a hole in the ground, at least he did a wee bit of work. He dug a hole in the ground and he buried it. What did he do with his talent? Absolutely nothing. Why did he do nothing? Maybe he was annoyed. Maybe he looked at what the other two got and he thought, well, flip sick, he got five, he got two, I only got one. I'm, I, you know, I'm not. I'm annoyed. I'm angry. I'll show him. I'll bury my talent. You know, it's a bit like when you, if you ever give sweets to kids. You know, if you've got three or four kids there and you're giving them sweets, they don't look at what they have. They look at, don't they, to make sure that the kid beside them did not get one more sweet than they got. You could get, you know, and, and, and we have sometimes that mentality, we compare ourselves. We say, they're so much more, I can't play the guitar, I can't sing, I can't preach, therefore God is no use for me. And we compare ourselves and it leads to discouragement and even despair. We think, I've got nothing to give. Or we compare ourselves and we think, well, actually, I'm really gifted. And we get prideful and God hates pride and he won't use you then anyway. And, and comparison stops us from using what God has given us. Or we get jealous. We get gift envy. I'd love to have their gift. Wow. Look at them. I mean, if I could sing like Jane, I'd be I'd serve God with all my heart. You know, a lot of us <laughs> over let me think how I'm going to phrase this because I'm just making this up. A lot of us overemphasize what we would do with the gifts that we don't have rather than and we underemphasize what we could do with the gifts that we do have. The thing we must remember is this. It's a gift. 
It's a gift. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I did nothing for it. It is a gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Plus, remember how much a ta- one talent, the guy with one talent, how much is a 20 years wage is half a million pounds. Like even those with a little still have a lot. Even if you think you don't have much, you still have a lot. All we have comes from him. So the master returns, and I'm, I'm not going to, 19 to 23, he returns and, 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 and he sees what they've done and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things to the guy with five and the guy with two who have multiplied it to ten. And, and, and the simple point is this, that, that one day we're going to, there's two things actually that we're going to stand before God and give an account for. This is what I believe anyway from scripture. The first thing God will say is, what did you do with my son Jesus? He died for you. What did you do with him? Did you ever accept him or did you reject him? Because that's the only two things you can do with Jesus. And the other thing is, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you waste it or did you use it? Did you squander it or did you develop it? And the master comes back and, and he simply expects, he expects those who have been given gifts to use them. And he says exactly the same commendation. You see, you'd think the guy with 10 would get more praise than the guy with four. See, success in the kingdom of God is not about numbers, it's about faithfulness. We equate success with numbers. God equates success with, were you faithful with what I gave you? Were you faithful with what I gave you? God will never hold me accountable for a gift I didn't have. God will never hold me accountable for what you do, but he will hold me accountable for what I do. What about the man with one talent? And we're finishing up here. Verses 24 to 30. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your gold in the ground. So here it is. Here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. At least I would have got some interest, but not very much in today's economy. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Look at how he describes this guy, wicked and lazy. That sounds harsh to me. Wicked and, you wicked, lazy servant. That's language we use for people who murder. That's language we use for people who run over grannies. That's the language we use for adulterers. That's the language we use for drug dealers or people who embezzle or steal or defraud or sleep with their neighbor's wife or, or drug dealer. That's like, he says, you're wicked and you're lazy. He wasn't judged harshly because he did something wrong. He was judged harshly because he did nothing he did nothing with what he had why did he do nothing maybe it was laziness maybe he went I can't be bothered I just can't be bothered you know I want to watch Jeremy Kyle and this morning and 
can't be bothered. I don't think it was that. I mean, it could have been laziness, but I think there were other reasons. The first one was this. He misunderstood the character of the giver. He misunderstood the character. Look at what he says. I knew that you are a hard man. He misunderstood the character. He saw the master as a hard man, a difficult man, a bit of... Really? All three of them had the same master. Look at what the master says to the other ones. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will give you men. Come and enter your master's joy. He sounds like a real tyrant, doesn't he? You know, sometimes the problem is not with the other person. Sometimes it's with us. Sometimes it's how we see people that affects what we do. We don't see people as they are. We see them as we are. Have you ever been in an environment where there's 100 people working in a company and 99 people think the boss is brilliant and one person thinks that she's a real cow? Seriously, there's one person, like everybody thinks she's kind, she's generous, you know, and one person's like, she's, she's awful, she's the worst boss ever. Really, who is the problem with? And what they're doing implicitly is this, they're saying, I knew you were a hard man, that's why I didn't invest. They're blaming the boss for their laziness. They're blaming the boss for what they did. It's your fault. It's, your, it's a victim mentality. They misunderstood the master's character because if you understand God's character, if you understand the goodness of God, you will give him everything. You will lay down your life for him. And then he says, I was afraid. Fear, just fear. And there's always fear. There's always fear when you try something new. There's always fear when you step out of the boat. There's always fear when you do something for the first time, second time, third time. There's always fear when you start a new job. There's always fear when you volunteer for a new ministry. There's always fear. There's always that sense of, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm, I am enough, if I have enough, if I'm good enough, if I'm qualified enough. There's always fear. There's always risk. I love what Rick Warren said. Rick Warren of Saddleback Church said this. When he dies, he wants four words on his tombstone. At least he tried. At least he tried. There's always risk. Verses 21-23. Come and share in your master's happiness. Come and share in your master's happiness. And I think there's a number of things here. And I'm finishing. I really genuinely am here. One is... Come and share in your mind. In other words, come in eternal happiness with the Father in heaven. But I also think there's something about this, that, that we all want to be happy. Every person in the world wants to be happy. And I think what Jesus is saying is the way to true happiness and joy is not to seek happiness and joy. See, if you make happiness and joy your goal, you will try to find it in things that will not lead to happiness and joy. People were out last night, sleeping around, getting off their heads, doing drugs. Why? Because they were searching for happiness and joy. It is elusive. Happiness and joy are not ends in themselves. They are a byproduct of something else. Happiness and joy are a byproduct of giving, of serving, of loving, of committing. If you seek happiness and joy, you will not find them. But if you give, if you serve, if you love other people, if you lay down your life, if you, if you just surrender, you will find happiness and joy. Because they're not found as ends and means in themselves.
And so I just want to challenge you, please, if you haven't found somewhere, find somewhere to serve. We, over the next few weeks, will be just highlighting a few areas where we, we really, as we grow, we, we need people to serve. And that's not what, this isn't a recruitment pitch. It is simply, God has given every person in this room gifts and talents. And he wants you to use them. I just want to finish with a story. It's from a business magazine, actually, called People Management. And I thought it just emphasized and, and illustrated really well just this idea of serving. And, 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 and just doing for others something that elevates them and, and, and lifts them up. The story says this. The hotel I manage is located near a renowned hospital. Recently, we noticed that a man and a boy were visiting regularly and surmised that they were father and son and that the son was undergoing treatment in the hospital. One evening, the father sent the boy up to bed and called over the head waiter. And he said to the head waiter, my son's about to start chemo tomorrow, chemotherapy. He's really upset at the prospect of his hair falling out, so he's decided to shave it all off tonight. I'm going to do the same, he said. The dad said, I'm going to do the same to support my son. So when you see us tomorrow morning coming down for breakfast, just would you mind just not reacting or, or mentioning it? And the head waiter was touched by the story, and he told some of his colleagues. And The next morning, the father and the son came down with bald heads, feeling very self-conscious and, and nervous. But as they went in to breakfast... They gradually realized that they weren't the only ones who looked a bit different that day because no fewer than 10 members of staff had shaved their heads out of solidarity with the boy. And the the writer says, this is how my staff live the corporate value. Serve others and show you care. Serve others and show you care. That's what we're about. Serving others and showing we 